Oh, that's what we doing? Are we are we on? We on, we on. You better go back the way you came. I'm not doing this with you. <laughs> <laughs> We're not gonna go down that route at all. I mean, I, neither of us can sing. You probably sing better than I can, so I mean I think that singing is less about singing and more about do you have sexual relationships with an audio engineer who can take your voice and turn it into a voice. Do it always have to be a sexual relationship? No, it's just, I think that we should probably start recognizing that some people are getting ahead because they have a different type of strategy. Okay, that's fair. That's Alrighty. fair, honestly, that's fair. Alrighty, so hello everyone. Welcome to season <laughs> two of Hotepery. <laughs> season two we in a building you already know what's going on it's badu season around this piece we outside but not really because it's storming outside we inside yeah no i mean the outside is beautiful i just think when it comes to sound quality it's just not going to be super amazing i think we're better off inside and you know i'm really excited for this show before we really get into the topic i think that we should you know just start start a habit start a healthy habit of introducing what is Hotepery? What is our show? Uh, Spotify considers us a social commentary. Do they really? I think so. I feel I like it's so. safer to say we're a comedy. I not only personally safer, identify as the same genre of comedy as people. <laughs> Yo, because like social commentary is so much responsibility. Comedy is like these guys can say whatever. I want to know like who at Spotify decided to put that much power onto this podcast that's rude it's we didn't sign up for that it's because there's a unk you know like <laughs> it's just really uncomfortable because really we're just trying to be and it feels as though they are trying to define who we are based off of their worldview in reality this is comedy if we can write an essay if you need us to write an essay. I mean, we could do that. <laughs> we could write an essay. You're not going to like the essay, but we could write an essay if you need us to write an essay. The truth about Marilyn Monroe coming out 2022. <laughs> Pissing white women it. off all year long. Let's go. Bring it back to Hotepery. At this point in time, I think Hotepery is self-explanatory. We are non-militant because we do not support personally the military complex system black people um are, are you saying we're non-militant black people for spotify like i just want to know how much i need co-sign with that i'm not <laughs> denying for the for the powers that be listening i'm not denying that <laughs> On, on audio, I'm not denying it. I just feel like whenever a Black female has an Afro, people want to call that a political statement, when in reality, this is how I woke up today. That's fair. That's fair. I'm digging your hair journey, by the way. We was just talking about that. Because we kind of in the same boat right now. You feel me? Like, my fro don't fro like yours do. It kind of just falls. You feel me? Shout out to Yeah, you know, different people. strokes, different hairs. It's really funny. I was uh, having a little bit of a, a a moment yesterday. I was looking in the mirror and uh, taking care of my hair, and I noticed two to three different distinct textures, and it just mm -hmm. irritated me. Yeah, I guess that's a common too. thing, though. Like, that's yeah, common. I think that's common. I think that's, that's really common. Anyway, how would you define hotelry? What are we? 
I wouldn't say we're non-militant. We are non-militant, but um, oh, that's hard. I think Hoteps are militant a little bit. Yeah. Especially the Hebrew Israelites. Fair, fair. I don't know how I define, because we went a whole season without ever defining Hotepery. I think Hotepery is like one of the things you just know. I think that because we are liberated in every sense of the word. And I I think that 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 concept of liberation is something that a lot of people are uncomfortable with when Mm. Black people in particular express it. I think it's a a type of liberation where they don't expect us to necessarily like having wide noses or having our kinky hair or teeny weeny afro and not even think about it. Like I don't think about the fact that I'm like I didn't wake up today and go, oh my goodness, I'm gonna have my hair like this. Oh my goodness, I'm gonna make a social or political commentary. I'm just being black. I'm being Mm. the way that I was born. And I think hotepery it to me is just that sense of liberation. It's also a liberation of sexuality because I think that people sometimes are like very uncomfortable. And I would definitely say that it's to some extent intellectualizing. It's the natural intellectualization that we as black Americans do. I was talking to one of my friends and they pointed out how they noticed that black people collectively as a culture, like black Americans as a culture, of people seem to all have a little bit of a, 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 an inclination to be open to conspiracy theories. Uh, so I think that wonder all why. of those things. <laughs> As somebody from Tuskegee, I wonder why. I know. It's almost <laughs> like if you look up the definition of a conspiracy, you're getting a meaning. Man, it almost you might see somebody from Tuskegee next to the definition. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really interesting because Hotepery, I think, is, I personally, like, remember growing up and being around Hoteps, and I never wanted to be a Hotep. I looked at it, and I was just like, like, you know, like, any forms of extremism do, it makes me feel antsy. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Uh, That being said, I understand why people have strong reactions. Why do you understand why strength is a thing? So to me, Hotepery is enjoying yourself in a world that makes you feel like you are a liar, that you're toxic, that you're dysfunctional, that kind of made you to some extent, like inevitably that way. And um, being able to like take the time to understand these things and instead of sitting and going through it to stop, pause and be like, how can I change this? How can I avoid it? Which is why I'm actually really, really excited for this topic because I think you and I are actually on the same uh, wavelength now. Okay. Okay. I dig that. And I think you articulated Hotepery in an amazing way because when I'm thinking about Hotepery, I'm thinking about Hotepery. And one thing that I've noticed, which is a common theme with all of our episodes is something always kind of, and I say devolves jokingly, but it always kind of evolves into a commentary on either toxicity or something of a sexual nature. And there's something to be said about self-expression when it comes to those two things. And as a Black person, especially, a lot of the way, and I think we're going to get into this when we're talking about our topic even more, because I have personal experience with this, but a lot of the way that we express ourselves 
is a form of grabbing onto the control that we don't feel like we have. Yeah. And so, I mean, what other ways do people do that if not like sexually or as it pertains to a form of self-expression that might make certain people uncomfortable um, and very rightfully so sometimes? Um, Those are interesting questions. And to be fair, I do think that all groups of people practice, you know, that wanting to have control. I think that White supremacy is a group of people who were extremely insecure, and for that reason, they had to control the world. You, uh, you ever read my poem about BDE? I don't think so. I wrote this poem. I, I'll find it and read it to you some other time because I don't have it off top. But it are was, you gonna read it to me through the phone? I'll read it to you through the phone. My <laughs> 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 poem about BDE was it was like. It's outlining this guy walking into this function with this woman and how everybody's looking their way. And it keeps going back to BDE, 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 and how they interact with each other, BDE. And you know what BDE is. But then at the end, I go, black dick envy. (laughs) And that's what a lot of white supremacy is to me. You know what's so funny? Because like, I'm not going to sit here and say I have BDE at all because it's different. I have an effect. I don't know what the Monisha effect is yet because it was so uncontrolled and wild. Like, you know, I'm figuring it out still and like harnessing it and studying it for scientific reasons. That being said, I will say as a black female who has dated non-black people, and this is always from non-black people, it's never with black males men, people, masculine, whatever you want to call it. They never do this, but it's this unspoken and almost obvious insecurity. And I'm just like, you. I bet you think I take black. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like you can feel it. You can feel it. And you can feel it coming out of their skin. You can feel it. Like, I feel it. I feel like just the fact that it's like they have like this deep insecurity where it's, in my opinion, it's absolutely sexist. It's absolutely sexist because it assumes that I would even be with because they're, you know, it's their women. And I even think like we're going to get into this Kendrick Lamar album that just released Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. And there is this point where there, there's two things. One, uh, in one of the songs, if I'm not mistaken, We Cry Together, the female, the feminine voice is essentially saying, you know, I, I should have, calls him insecure and says, I should have been with a bigger D in the first place, you know? Mm-hmm. And then there's this other song, I can't remember. Oh, actually, <laughs> yes, I do. Worldwide Steppers, where... Kendrick talks about really the fetishization of the white female body, you mm-hmm. know, and it's just this first time this, I fucked a white bit. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> and like, this is like, it's so funny. Like, I'm actually going to set down and say, I wouldn't say that this is 100% accurate information. I will, however, say that 
I do think that the white female body is the most fetishized body on the face of the planet at this point in time. That's an interesting take because I was I thought for a long time that the black male body was hella fetishized, but there's a point to be made for the white female body too. I think the white female body is far more fetishized and because it is a positive fetishization, people don't view it as fetishization. I feel that. But like, and like, that's the thing. Like, I think that because there's so much fetishization of different uh, perceived races and different uh, genders and it all different uh, sexes, like it all happens a little bit differently. I think that like a lot of non-black men who end up in sexual relationships with me uh, have like this almost like you know, like deep down inside, like I do think that they believe that races belong to each other. And, you know, and I think mm. if they long keep feel that way, just like how in Kendrick, he was like the first time I had sex with a white woman, you know, and it, it became this whole political social thing for him where we he's wild. Go ahead. Go ahead. I don't mean to cut you he off. Cause talks I really about how, like, you know, like yeah. literally he starts talking about the systems and societal factors that play into why that was so satisfying for him. I think that like when men have not all men, but when some men have sex with me and they're not black, like deep down in their mind, it's like they want to embody that like BD E energy, but it's exactly what you said at the end of the poem. Yeah. No, I, I feel that. I, I think that there's a point to be made about that. And I'm not going to linger on this too much because I do want to get into the topic. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I've always been a really big Kendrick Lamar fan, like since high school, damn near. And the thing about Kendrick that I really resonate with and probably why he's one of my favorite artists is, man, when I listen to his music all the way back to like Section 80, especially Good Kid, Mad City. I'll tell you, Good Kid, Mad City was probably the first album that like, it didn't make me cry, but it put me in a certain place emotionally because I felt like my life was being narrated. Like, the things that he was going through with his homies and like just the little narrations and even the little skits at the ends of the songs, that was the same thing I was going through in 2012 with my homies and my neighborhood. And like, so it was really emotional. And this album was no different. So when he gets to this part about he was having sex with this white woman and then he figured out who her parents were and now it feels like revenge, I went through something like that. And I didn't, I didn't think of it that way. I didn't really fetishize the girl like that, but like, when I figured out who her mother was, it changed the dynamics of the relationship because it was a lady that I had met before. Um, We'll get into it when we get into it, but needless to say, our topic today is Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, right? So before we get into that, let's take some time to introduce ourselves. Hello, I'm Monisha. (laughs) Oh yeah, let's introduce ourselves 15 minutes in, let's go. Monisha Holmes, aka Six. You can find me on TikTok at Monisha Holmes, on Instagram at Monisha Holmes. I'm trying to get into my old Twitter account. I, you know, I'm kind of struggling and I have nobody at Twitter to potentially flirt with to get my account back. <laughs> so until then, <laughs> I'm locked out of my Twitter account. We'll revisit that. I'm also the founder of At Black Women Being. That is the hub for so much of this Black entertainment. And, uh, Paul, why don't you introduce yourself? So, yeah, and I was about to ask before I get into that. So you plug in your socials, your personal socials now, too? Because you know I'm plugging in my personal. It's it's almost like black women, be- boob, 
Boob is like B-E-T, okay. and then we're all the steppers. I'm not mad at that. You know what it is. It's Elemental P. You can find me at Mostly Plants on YouTube and Helianthus.ho on IG. And that's basically it. If you're into plants, if you're into ecology, whatever, follow your boy. If you haven't noticed, the biggest news that we have for you is that we're on camera now. We are on camera. You're welcome. We're we're on camera. You know, you can see (laughs) our adorable faces. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. When I look at myself, I see a dark skin Angela Davis. I see a dark skin Kathleen Cleaver. I see, you know, uh, I see I I see a lot of energy. I like I see a face I love. I ain't mad at you. Um, people have told me that they see Donald Glover. I think I'm prettier than Donald Glover, but I also, I like Donald Glover, so I'm going to take it. Your lighting is killing mine right now, I, but it's me out. Yo, I, that's what I wanted to record right uh, during the day, like right during the noon, because I knew daylight lighting, it's different. I'm sorry you're going through that storm, though. It's so funny. No, I love storms, man. I love storms. I love storms, too, but for the recording, for the recording. It is what it is. True. All right, so, so let's, let's get, into get the topic. Let's get into the topic. If y'all are not familiar with it, after going into hiding, I think kind of like you, I don't know. I, I guess Kendrick was with Frank Ocean. Those two were, you know, <laughs> vanished. <laughs> they were lost, <laughs> lost in the scene of it all. Like they were just okay. gone. <laughs> they were lost on like a Rihanna album kind of tip. They were lost on like oh, Beyonce kind of tip. And then like the Lemonade album. Kendrick dropped Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. It's a great album, man. Great album. All right. So what are your initial thoughts about the album? Heavy. Heavy. Because I think it ties into the title of this episode. And that's that's why. It is so wild that we planned these episodes far in advance. And then just naturally this album came out. It makes me feel like we're synced up with the collective or mm. at least the collective that we're synced up with. Uh, my first impressions, I, heavy. I don't really feel like I've sat down and listened to this album, even though I've listened to it about two to three times. I don't really feel like I heard it. I feel mm. like I, I listened to it. I, I it's so much to hear because they're like, for example, we cry together do you know what your reaction is when you hear a couple arguing? So my reaction to that song was similar to my reaction when I hear the couple arguing in real life. It was almost a combination of cringe, but I kind of want to see where this goes slash I'm already predicting how this is going. My reaction was shock and disassociation. Interesting. Yeah. So there are just parts of that album. I think that's one of the realest pieces of art. And a lot of people have asked the question, who was this album for? Was this Mm -hmm. album for Kendrick? Was this album for the audience? I think the best art is for the artist first. Yeah. And I mean, Kendrick even says it in the last song of, of the album. I choose me, you know, I'm sorry. Like, and there's something to that because even me as a fan, you know, I I told you Kendrick is one of my favorite artists and every single album he's released, I've known exactly where I was the first time I heard it and what I was doing. And after a while, 
I say after Good Kid, Mad City, I would reserve time where I was just not around anybody to just listen and digest those albums. And I'm kind of a hip hop nerd anyway. Um, and so I think that Kendrick is one of those artists that people, when he drops, people want it to be like some world saving type. And, and myself included, I'm like, man, this is going to change the game right here. And while it did, the whole point of the album to me was we got to take that pressure off ourselves. You feel me? And it's hard, especially as a black person, especially as a black man, and not to get into gender roles too much because, you know, I'm not even big on gender roles, but especially as a black man feeling like there's always more that we could be doing to protect and uplift black women. Like, it's hard to take that pressure off of oneself and be like, man, sometimes you could just breathe and enjoy life and it don't always have to be some kind of commentary or don't always have to be like you showing out or you, you feel me? Sometimes you could just live. That's, that's hard, man. Yeah. I, uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about like how these celebrities are real people. And I feel like there are people who, for whatever reason, maybe it's, maybe it's just straight entitlement, like just straight Mm -hmm. entitlement, straight warp perspectives. Once somebody enters a celebrity status, they're just like, oh, that's your job. You're supposed to do this. Oh, this is your job. You're supposed to do this as if workers don't have rights. And, and to me, like, that's wild. Like they get to, they get, they still get to be people. Even, uh, let's take something like the Will Smith slap. Uh, I know this is talk to death. I will say this right now. I have a natural inclination like you to care about the opposite sex Mm. because it's easy and trained into us when we're young to some extent to give some type of a damn, like to give some type of damn, like to care just a little bit, especially if you have a black mother or a black father. You know, like there, I think that to some extent there is this natural inclination to give. It may not be present in all people, but let's take that slot. For example, I think that most black people knew that Chris Rock wasn't going to press criminal charges. I'm not mad that he sued. That being said, I think that most of us knew that criminal charges wasn't going to come from that situation. Because one, yes, objectively speaking, he's wrong. You can't just walk on stage and assault people. I don't know why he did it. I don't fully understand why he did it. When I stop and look at it and think of all the positions that Will Smith has had to play, of all the expectations he's had to uphold, how he was heavily criticized for not standing up for dark skin on Viv, and then on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, on Skin Dark Viv was replaced with Light Skin on Viv. You know, mm-hmm. so he's been criticized for not protecting Black women before. And I, I think that it's just one of those things where people try to blame that on Jada, to which I'm sure maybe Jada has like a little bit of the droplet in the glass of like Will Smith's issues. That being said, I think people just lose sight of the fact that this man has to probably be having... 50 million things running through his mind 
like mm-hmm. 50 million things, 50 million obligations, and also soul obligations, soul spiritual obligations pertaining specifically to blackness that will drive someone to the point of stress. Not to say that's what everyone's going to do and how everyone's going to act out and so forth. But I think like when we look at like pretty much all celebrities, look at how Miley Cyrus looked at, like wild out, looked at how uh, Lindsay Lohan wild out, look at Mary Kay Nashley, like look at, look at literally every single celebrity, look at Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, like look at pretty much most celebrities or at least the celebrities who, you know, we see as like these top performers. A lot of them have these human realities that are not beautiful and not appealing. So when I look back at this Kendrick Lamar album and people, you know, they, I I never even occurred to me to ask who that was for, you know, like it just, to me, I just don't really hold that level of entitlement. And I also don't think, I think it's narcissistic for uh, anyone to think that it's their responsibility to save, to like, kind of like want to be the savior, like be helpful be of service. But the idea that you're going to be a superhero in this, like, who is that for? You know? So I, th- I actually think that the expression of this album was very healthy. It was very fair. And it's a game changer in that these toxic relationships are really, really normal. And it's not lost on me how, you know, we are seeing these Hollywood divorces, this Hollywood dysfunction. And then this album comes out and it's also we're going through these economic crises where you rent prices are going up. So it's like that almost makes an obligation for people to peer up so they can afford to live. But, you know, still having that toxicity that's coming. We have interracial relationships and um, obviously like heterosexual relationships, all these different types of relationships happening. And people are having different conversations they probably never had to have in life different expectations and relationships that they never really had to have. And that to me, like, it's like, why are we toxic? We're toxic because to your point earlier, when we were talking off camera, we inherited a lot of these issues. Would you say that we grieve different? (laughs) (laughs) That was good, right? That was good, right? (laughs) Hey, but look, there's something to be said. And, I, you know, as much as I'm a fan, like, I don't even want to get into the whole Will Smith thing because that shit has been talked to dev. I'm tired of hearing about it, to be honest. And people much more qualified than me have their analyses of it. So with that being said, I do think there's something about, A, culturally, how people grieve is just different across the board. And B socioeconomically, you know, and, you know, Kendrick being somebody that is rich now, but also grew up probably in a similar economic situation to like I grew up in, for example, he finds himself with all of his money and he says, you know, Dave got a Porsche, so I got me a Porsche. You feel me? Infinity pools I never swam in. Like I grieve different. So I, I think there's something to be said about finding a way to express oneself to fill the voids. And not only that, but to, and, and I said something to this nature before, but to hold on to some semblance of control. So I was speaking with somebody else about this recently, about how young black men, 
especially in Indianapolis. And being back here has brought so much back for me that I just forgot about culturally. But um, most of my homies I grew up with are either in gangs or, well, you never get out of a gang, so technically they're still in them, but we're active at one point in gangs. Um, Young black men here blast their music loud, you feel me? Even though I never got in a sag in my pants because I run from police and I need to be able to pull my pants up and run. Um, but people sag their pants, people, you know, wear certain colors and, you know, rock jewelry and do all of that. A lot of, especially the more flamboyant points of self-expression to me is people that are in some sort of way grieving or trying to grasp at control that they don't have in life. And so the only control that they have is in their actions. So I'm going to blast my music loud coming down the street, not because I can't hear the shit, but because I know it irritates people. And that's the only thing I can do to affect the environment around me. You it's really me? interesting. I never, uh, I never saw it like that. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure black women do certain things to hold on to some semblance of control in that manner, too. I can't really speak on I that. I think beautify, uh, the beautification of self, to some extent, might be that. I think that yeah. you know how uh, you and I have had this experience when we're in predominantly white spaces, we perform a stereotypical... Uh, and not even necessarily ter- stereotypical, but we enhance blackness. I feel that. As like, uh, it's definitely like an assertion of power. I think the black woman, the beautification of that like body is the mm-hmm. emphasis of the body is that I wouldn't say in all cases, like, for example, in the beginning of the show, I said, you know, I'm wearing this Afro because this is literally how I woke up. I tried to do a twisty thing with my hair. And then I was like, actually, no, this, this is the style that looks the best for today. Uh, So I don't think it's always that. And I think that whenever people are looking at specific behaviors, it's important not for us to project our own ideas of what that behavior is and to inquire about it. That being said, I could see how music is that. And also I think that music unites people. So I think to some, you know, it depends on the song. It depends on the song and it depends on who's playing it. Like for example, if somebody is going by the police playing F the police intentionally, That's who knows me. what that could mean? <laughs> I got pulled over playing NWA one time, dude. Like, I was already speeding. This was in Indiana. This was when I was in high school. And I got pulled over, and NWA was playing. And dude walked up to my window, and he just gave me a look. And I just kind of looked at him like, and he was just like, man, let me just give you a ticket and go. (laughs) But um, there's something to be said about, to your earlier point, almost feeling more black when you're in predominantly white spaces. And I'll even you say have to feel that, it. Yeah. And I'll say spaces that don't have a lot of black people in it. Like you almost feel more black. Absolutely. Know? Because I think that the world makes us feel black as opposed to us actually being black. Like I actually don't, mm. I, I identify as a black American in the sense of unity. That being said, we're not black. Black isn't even a color nor is white. 
You know, like I think that black to me is erasure, just like white is erasure. Like it's a, mm. it's, it's to make someone a monolith to me, it is to erase someone's culture. And there is this notion from other groups that we don't have a culture that we don't have that. And I think that's ignorant. I think that's ignorant and it erases yeah. the variety of African-American cultures that exist within the United States. Of that's a wild America. take though. Cause I'd say the one thing that black people export more than anybody else and by black people, I mean, black Americans specifically is culture. I mean, the only thing America itself really exports in mass nowadays is culture. And most of that culture is created by black people. And if I'm being honest with you and not to go off on a tangent too much, if we talking about men's and women's issues and why this reproductive rhetoric has entered the stage that it has, it's because white people are like, man, they seeing all their daughters producing all these Tyrones and Habibis running around here. And they like, we need to put some Connors on the board. <laughs> I think that's, I think there's something to be said about that. I, I mean, am so antsy about this Roe v. Wade thing. And I'm in a position where I could go to another state and get an abortion if I really needed to, you know, no, like facts. that being yeah. said, I'm antsy, not because I am like, not because I'm actually in a state of concern regarding getting pregnant, just because I'm not out here like doing anything. I'm not out here dating uh, just because I've reached the point, you know, it's almost like that beginning topic of this conversation. What's the point of being in love? What's to me, what's the point of having sex? What's the point of having sex when it just feels like, I'm going to be having empty sex at this point in time. Like if I have sex right now, it's literally just going to be to fulfill like perhaps a physiological desire. Like it's just not going to be that. I'm not there yet. Empty sex is fun. Huh? I'm not there yet. Empty sex is fun. See, if I had empty sex, I would have to have it like a man, Mm. you know, and that's a different dynamic. And I don't really feel as though, I am being in my masculine energy right now because even though I identify as non-binary, I do identify with womanhood. So mm-hmm. right now it feel I feel like, you know, a part of in my understanding of masculinity is especially like within our own culture is the need to defend, not mm-hmm. necessarily to be on the offense within our culture. I would say that black women are kind of given just a little bit more freedom to be on the aggressive. I think a lot of the times black men have to, or black masculines have to be on the defensive because, you know, like take, like you've been in person with me, you know, I'm a 5'11 person, you know, I'm someone who, you know, some white people who've never seen black people before, I'm the darkest black person they've ever seen in their life. You know, so I think for a lot of factors, I feel as though the world has in some way, shape or form made me feel non-binary, not to mention like these gender constructs are only the constructs. But yeah, like having to kind of be in that position, I've just had this point where I'm like, eh, I don't, I've had to, not to say this energy isn't within me anyway, but I just have had to feel like I've had to perform a particular way to survive. So for me, embracing my natural femininity 
has just been where I'm at. And a part of embracing that natural femininity is letting the oxytocin flow. And if I can't let the oxytocin flow, I can't, no. I mean, oxytocin is going to flow whether the sex is meaningless or not, just the oh. human touch in and of itself. But is, I don't no, have I to let it flow. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Unmanaged. <laughs> okay. Okay. So with that being said, I, I think I want to touch on this topic since we're talking about sex. Break down uh, uh, United Steppers to me because I have a, a story about this, but I want to hear your thought about fetishization. Okay. I'm, I'm going to read to you my exact notes. Okay. Worldwide Steppers, the fetishization of white people's bodies and how that impacts the dating world feels inescapable in the 20s and 30s, referring to people's age. It mm. seems like a lot of people are working through white supremacy, depression, and anger. How some of that processing shows up seems to be fixated on and in whiteness. So there's that's interesting because, you know, I made a point earlier that I feel like black men are super fetishized. And I think black women are too. But to your point, you know, white people have conquered the whole world at one point or another. All of but like five countries have they not touched, if not mistaken. White people have colonized the whole world. And with that, white beauty standards have permeated through pretty much every culture. And I mean, I'd say this all the time, especially to my homies that haven't traveled, you know, anti-blackness isn't just an American thing. That's literally everywhere. You feel me? And that's not to play the victim. That's to say whiteness is the standard that everybody else measures themselves by. And when I say everybody else, I don't mean every individual, but on a cultural level, um, most other cultures measure themselves by. So with that, to your point, white women are aspirational to a certain degree, you know? Absolutely. And And it's really interesting. I was having a conversation with one of my friends who is a white man or a white male. Um, Literally, or is the right word there. That being said, Mm. we were taught, he brought up the point that all women are Bambi. Mm. Fawns who are thrown into this world. And I really, I really appreciated that because I think the difference between the black Bambi and the white Bambi is the white Bambi doesn't have the racial baggage. The Mm. white Bambi was put on the pedestal. The white Bambi, to your point, is aspirational. When you start going into the Bambis that are not white and within your shared racial group or your shared ethnic group, like I've noticed some men, like their, their perspectives are anger. Like it's anger and to some extent just frustration. Like I think to some extent a lot of, and we've had this conversation before, a lot of men are trying to escape the problems of their own culture. They're not necessarily trying to be reminded of it. And one benefit of going outside of your culture, regardless of what racial group it is, is you like, nobody's going to hold you to the same level of accountability as people from your own group are going to hold you. They're not going to be able to call you out on like the religious obligations that you have 
like somebody else from your own culture is going to be too. So to some extent, it's not only that experimentation, it's not only like this fetishization, but I also think some of it is just that like wanting to have fun and wanting to create this new sense of identity and, and not having to really deal with the consequences of that. So just like we were talking about with this album, it's almost a, a factor of wanting to live and enjoy your life with, for once without having to carry that emotional baggage that I feel like almost all Black Americans feel, that duty to your race that transcends the individual and becomes a community thing. And, and, and I think that's a fair point. And, you know, it's funny because we always speak about, and by we, I really mean like liberals and especially like liberals of color. We always speak about how black men have approached black women with a certain attitude or dragged black women down, which is true. I'm, I'm not discounting that at all. But when I come back to my hometown, for example, and I start looking around me, I realized I didn't actually realize how badly black men thought about black women because I just genuinely didn't grow up with that. You feel me? Most and it's not all black men. Like it is I think no, it's also yeah, a know, very specific group that I haven't been able to pinpoint. Yeah, I, I didn't grow up with that. And so most of my homies, their preference is black women. And I think most black men, their preference is black women, to be honest, which and vice versa. Most Black women, I think their preference is black men. But I think that when you come from a certain environment, especially a certain economic environment, a certain socioeconomic environment, anything that doesn't remind you of the hood is generally seen as a good thing. You feel me? And like just playing off of that, I definitely felt like during COVID, I had to unpack, internalize self-hatred that didn't even feel like it was mine. The representation that when I look into myself in the mirror, I was, I had my hair twisted down and I felt like I saw a prisoner, like literally an inmate because the representation of black women on TV for like a lot of the two thousands was black women in prison was orange is new black. It was uh, that movie with Queen Latifah where they uh, uh, were printing money and then ended up, you know, like it it was these things. Like, I feel like it's, even when I look at my nude body, I think I see like Amistad, you know, like I see, like I'm remind the schemas that come up when I see myself. And this is what I mean by internalized self-hatred, internalized, internalized racism, Oh, isn't necessarily us having the attitudes of I hate myself and I hate people who are of my shared racial group. I think internalized racism is I, I now my memory can only pull on certain schemas of certain ideas of certain experiences of certain depictions. And now I have to, even though I may not subscribe to the belief that my mind is recalling, it's still recalling it. And it's still impacting how I see myself in the world today. So I could see how, because mental health, specifically mental health for black people is not really discussed. It's not or it's just now starting to become more discussed and more accepted. 
I don't really think that the conversations we've had really talk about how inter- like the diversity in the ways internalized self-hatred can express itself. So it's like, let's go with, I know that if I'm experiencing this, there has to be at least one other person who's experiencing it because it's a very homo sapien thing to experience. If then I am dating someone, sometimes I worry that they're not going to see Monisha. They're going to see fetish. They're going to see BET. They're going, you know, like I've even had points where in certain relationships, I'm just like, where do you think I came from? Like I may have grown up just above, like a hair above the poverty line, but that doesn't mean that the depiction, the behaviors that you're having and how comfortable you feel is what I'm even, that's not my world. You know, like it's very, it's been very confusing. And I think that I can understand how when in that position, if you're not able to work through that and you don't have the support to get through that, the answer is to avoid it. You know, it's kind of like how when you look at like the history of real estate, how when black people are in a particular home, for some people that just makes the place a ghetto, you know? (laughs) So I think that's what it is. It's like, now we got to move. But to your point, and I think you articulated that very well and in a way I didn't even think about because during this conversation, I'm thinking about my own upbringing and I'm going to be honest with you, like the internalized self-hatred that I've heard so many black people speak about that I know is real because I've heard it from so many different places. I genuinely have never gone through that, but I'm thinking about my upbringing and how fortunate I was not only to be brought up by the people that brought me up. I mean, I I don't really want to get into my whole family history, but it's some people that have been down for the cause for a long time, you know? Um, And so there's a certain amount of knowledge of self that comes with that. And then I was also just very loved, you know, as a kid. And I know that like, that sounds like some Hallmark shit, but it really does make a difference. Like as much as I have homies in gangs and I've done some stuff that I'm not going to speak on because the fans might be listening. Like even those people like would be like, certain things would be happening and they'd be like, oh, don't show up to this place or don't show up to here because something's about to go down. Like even my homies that was in the trenches were like looking out for me. My family was looking out for me. I'm kind of like jokingly the golden child of my family because I'm one of the oldest and I'm like the one that holds it down. Like I come back and visit my grandparents and do farm work for the whole summer. Like I've been doing like, so I've always been very loved. And so I think that there was never any room for self-hatred because even though in Indiana, like Indiana's mostly white and so is Alabama where I grew up. I grew up around white people my whole life, but I still always came home to love. And that shit really makes a difference, you know? And that's not to say that other people aren't loved that don't go through that. That's not what I'm saying at all. Exactly. And I want to be very specific. It's not even like I was taught to hate myself. I grew up with um, I think it was the, again, this, the world around me and how it's impacted my self-identity is mm-hmm. major. I think that to some extent, what another factor that plays into it is you're very bookish. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that you're much more bookish and well-traveled and immersed in the earthly experience than perhaps some people who grew up just watching TV. So I wasn't necessarily one of those people. That being said, this is where when like black people say, 
especially HBCUers, go off HBCUers. When HBCUers have said representation matters, if you watch enough TV, and I think, you know, like really pay attention to it, eventually the memories from the shows might recall and bring up different ideas. So you, I could, I could see how based off of your history, you'd avoid it. But to that point, you literally just made, you made the episode. You made the episode because love is a protective factor. I went to Afropunk Miami mm-hmm. 2022. And I noticed that the, the merch that they're selling and on one of the hats that they were selling, and I really actually want one now. Like I, I got a little mask and I didn't get the hat. I really regret it. They, <laughs> they're selling a hat that says black love on it. And, and I really have reached a point where I, 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 I 100% see black love as a protective factor. Yeah, for sure. It definitely is. Now, with that being said, I think there's a difference between love and being in love because the title of the episode is What's the Point of Being in Love? I want to get into that. I do want to take a five-minute break. I think being in love is a protective factor, too. It could be. I want to take a five-minute break real quick. Can we do that and reconvene in like five minutes? Yeah, I'll pause this. We it. All right. So we're back. So I remember the point I was trying to make, by the way. I got me a fresh cup. Um... So in Worldwide Steppers, we were talking about the fetishization of white women and how Kendrick was like, you know, the first time I fucked a white bitch, you know, (laughs) and he was talking about how it wasn't even meant to be this political thing. It was him hooking up with a girl. But then it just so happened that her father was like the sheriff. And now he felt like it became this political thing. And he felt like now I'm getting revenge. Yo, I, and this is what I mean by Kendrick be narrating my life. I went through that. I went through that. And you know, I don't have a preference for white women and I never have, but I've been with every, like between you and I, our body counts could end racism. <laughs> between you and I, like we could be like the black Mongols for real, for real. If, If we were procreating with all the people we was having sex with, but remember uh, when I sent you the map? Yo, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. (laughs) Yo, I am, and you know it's so funny because it's like I personally, especially as someone who has an interest in astrology and studies astrology, I have become very content with the fact that I am often wrong and I work to be as accurate as I can. A part of my personal growth is learning to be quiet and learning how to have the most uh, accurate information. It's a continuous growth process because it does matter. That being said, knowing how much I know because of my whole temporary so here, with that being said, let me make this point. And this is the point I was making. So Kendrick went through all of that. He just had sex with this woman. And then he found out who her dad was. And now it's this political thing. That happened to me. So in 2008, my summer between eighth grade and freshman year of high school, the same summer I lost my virginity, there was, I was walking into a store and as I walked past this white woman's car, she came out, locked her car door, and gave me a dirty look as she walked past, as I walked past her car. 
I'm like 13, 14 years old at this point. And I'm, I've always been a little kid. Even as an adult, I'm still little. So I'm not like physically imposing. Shorty really went out of her way to make sure I knew she was locking her door. You feel me? This is in Indiana. This is in Indiana. Fast forward to my freshman year of high school. I'm sleeping with this girl. And guess who her mother is? That same white woman that locked her door as I walked past in the summer. <laughs> so when I heard that song and then we were talking about what we were just talking about, I'm like, yo, it really ain't even start out like that. But that's what it turned into. Like, See, I can't relate to that at all, personally, because I think that I am one of those people. And I think a lot of Black women are like this where we really are operating from a place of wanting to love and be loved. Mm. That's fair. That's fair. But that's That being said, I feel like people try to make like there's a separation between institutions and people. And there's not exactly that separation. People try to make a separation. And like these things should be separate. But the thing is, like, they're not. Like, I remember... My ex uh, introduced me to someone like, you know, an insurance company and they help people get like health insurance. And because of the way that our relationship ended, when I called to renew my insurance, try to get insurance, you know, I didn't get that insurance, right? Yeah. 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 You probably didn't. (laughs) No, your girl did not get that insurance. Didn't get that insurance at all because as much as we there should be a separation between institutions and people. Institutions don't exist without people. Just like AI can be racist. AI can be racist. Okay, I have a weird question for you that don't have nothing to do with nothing, but we already over time anyway. So check this out, right? We got to talk about the point of being in love. What? We got to talk about the point of being in love. I know you're trying to avoid love. We're going to end on that note. We're going to end on that note. (laughs) I just got to ask you a question because I'm just curious. Do motion sensors always work for you? Yeah. Really? Yeah, but I'm tall. There's a lot of me. So check this out. I don't know what. And and it's weird. I have weird magnetism because watches always stop working on me, too. But whenever I'm like in the airport or something or like just wherever and I be trying to wash my hands, I be having to go to like three, four different sinks to like a fine one that work for me. That's really funny. Because the water just don't come on. Like I sit there and be rubbing my hands and this shit just don't come on. Definitely. They definitely work for me. I do. I will say, too, as a black person. And even if I wasn't black, uh, technology kind of freaks me out. That being said, because I believe that we're at this black mirror point of no return, I try to work with it. So I, you know, I mind my predictive texts. I perceive how my technology perceives me and I use it as a tool to help my personal development. For example, I noticed that my technology, my predictive text sees me as somebody who says thank you and please a lot. So it sees me as a very well-mannered person. I wonder if that influences how it then treats us. I have no idea. I'm not really like one of those people who like nerds out when it comes to technology 
and humankind because I, I'm one of those people who are of the school of thought of, yes, I totally love cyberpunk, but I also think that it's probably the most healthiest thing for people to go outside and plant because I think that the issues that we have until we start having conversations about them, which I hope happens when Sedna enters Gemini in 2023, if I'm not mistaken, Sedna is the asteroid that represents transcendence. Here's my little astrological tip. That being said, I just don't think that we're there. I don't think that, I think that people are trying to put band-aids on the problem and they're not really able to fix the problem. And I think that because of that, for people who are living contemporarily in the here, like in the here and now, the best option is probably to go outside and play with nature for right now. Mm-hmm. Before it goes away, which it inevitably will, if we keep doing what we're doing with without any inhibitors. And Ooh. to your point, I told you, like, whenever I come back home, either to Indiana or to Alabama, like the number one thing I'm always doing is farm work. I'm always helping my grandparents plant crops. You feel me? Taking up crops, sowing seeds, doing all of that. And more and more, I'm realizing how important it is to have, if you have a yard, to know how to make your own food because we're going to go through shortages very soon. I mean, COVID put a lot of people on game. You feel me? As far as like how dependent we are. And this shit could collapse at any minute. And then and, and not to be an alarmist, because I'm not a fucking doomsday prepper or anything, but like, yo, we already kind of live in a third world country and just don't realize it because of this American arrogance that we have. But America <laughs> is ghetto, bro. Like, this shit is we going to We have school crash. shootings like nobody's business. Yo, and it's going it's to so crash. It's so funny. It's so funny. I literally feel like if we put, like, American news alongside in the eyes of an angel that song mm. and just like <laughs> like <laughs> for 25 cents a day you can ensure that Lil and chad can go to school <laughs> have my little ass walking around without no shirt on like <laughs> in the eyes of an angel <laughs> yeah no like it's so terrifying. Like, I remember when I was in Germany, I was like, does anybody want a male bride? Does I'm anyone tired. want a black wife? I understand you're in Europe and it's cold. That being said, when the when the UV rays start becoming stronger, you're going to want children with melanin. Does anyone I'm want a black wife? <laughs> does anyone need melanin? Man, melanin? The hell out of here, dog. Hey, but look, like... Yo, Ghana's taking black people. Like, there's there are places that we can go. We don't have to be here. And you want to go to Ghana for a visit first? I'm going in December. And you didn't invite me. So I told you my grandmother's looking at property out there. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm. I'm now we're gonna stop there. avoiding the question. We're gonna end on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know. yeah, we we already almost 15 minutes over time. All right, what is the point of being in love? Go. What is the point of being in the love? Be positive. Uh, it's it's on me. Um, I don't. Okay, and this is not me being pessimistic or cynical. I don't think there is a point. That's not to say that you shouldn't or should be in love. I don't think there's a point of being in love 
I think that if it's something that you want to do, if it's something that makes you feel good, if you're in love with somebody that makes you a better person, makes you feel protected, makes you X, Y, and Z, then do it. Is there a point to being in love? Nah. I mean, I feel like being in love in and of itself is something that should be without condition. So I don't know that there is a point to being in love. I think love in and of itself can be protective because on an evolutionary level, that's what it's supposed to be. But you can be loved and you can love without being in love. So I don't think there's a point to being in love. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. I want to diddle you so hard right now. D-I-T-T-O, ditto, because yeah, that's actually one of the most beautiful answers. It's absolutely beautiful because love in a perfect world should have no point. It should just be and do. We should just do love because we want to. And because we recognize that we love, so we want to meet the needs of the other person, we should be in love because it naturally occurs and because it's not forced. And I think it's really confusing to maybe some people to accept that because to some extent, some people like love is what comes after a business arrangement. Mm. You know, love makes the business arrangement feel a little less bad for either social or personal reasons. For some people, love is what protects them from a worse off life. To some people, love is a political and social statement. You know, I don't, I think that's why, like, even when it comes to sharing my sexual orientation, and my LGBT identity, like being part of that community, a big part of the reason why I don't really like doing it is because I've never felt as though the relationships I had with women should need to become a political tool. I was with them because I really liked them. I was Mm. with them because I respected them. I actually was happy with them and was open to seeing where anything could go with them. Just like I would be with uh, someone else that I'm in a relationship with. And to me, to, I understand the hyper performance of orientation and I respect it because it's important for me personally, I guess at my best, even if I'm in an interracial relationship, I've never been the person to be like, you know, putting like making a point of that. Like I'm Mm. in love because I want to be in love because I, I love the feeling of love. And I agree with you 100%. Love shouldn't have a point. It should, it should be, it should flow. It should do. With that being said, I mean, that sounds like the moral of the story right there. And, oh, bars, if you in love with somebody, y'all are united in grief because we in a fucked up world anyway. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I will say, like, you, after listening to that album, going right back to We Cry Together, mm-hmm. that's also why I'm single because there is love in that, but that's not in love. 
That is loving. I feel like that might be in love, but that doesn't make it healthy. Do you really think? I do. I feel like, like maybe they were in love, but we're, we're, I guess maybe we need to have an episode where we define love. If we can figure that out, we probably have the answers to the universe. But I mean, we could we could hash it out if that's what you want to do. But I don't know how productive that conversation is going to be. Like, that's one of the old questions that nobody has the answers to, isn't it? And maybe that's why we see it differently, that song. Maybe that's why I'm like, they could be in love. And you're like, ain't no way. You feel me? I do think that there's love in that relationship. I think there's affection in that relationship. I like to believe that in love is... I think she was definitely in love with him because Mm -hmm. I think in love comes with a level of selflessness. And I I, kind of feel like he was a little bit more logical minded and going along with her. That being said, that point that she makes in the, in in the song where she says you're insecure. uh, I think that sometimes for me personally, it's hard to understand, accept, and receive love from insecure people. Mm. That's interesting. That's I, I feel like in most cases, I don't even see it as love because I like to believe personally that love does start with ourselves. It starts from within and kind of like, uh, like self-actualization. The transcendence of love comes once we are able to recognize love within ourselves, which doesn't mean that they aren't capable of loving. But to me, like, I think once it starts bordering on that, like persistent hate, it's just toxic and drug-like. Yeah. I mean, I'll say this and I don't want to linger on it too much because we're like 105 at this point, but um, I'll say this. I have been loved and been in love with people that were insecure and where it might not have started out like this, those relationships eventually started to feel more possessive than loving. And so I do think that people that are insecure are capable of loving you, but there is a question of whether you're equipped to deal with what that comes with. You're right. And I I definitely, you know, we're in the final thoughts part of our outro. I definitely, I'm, this is a very personal thing for me personally to say, I cannot, I can't really be, I think that the love that comes from insecure people and I'm speaking as someone who has loved in an insecure way before. When I look back at the people that I loved when I was insecure, a lot of the time, I don't think that was love. I think it was fear. Mm. You know, like, I think it was obligation. I think it was expectation, like the expectation of how I'm supposed to show up for that person as opposed to 
actually being in love with the person as opposed to letting that naturally grow. And I guess like what it is, is it's not that I want to, like, I would like to, in a perfect world, erase toxic love. However, I do understand I can't do that. I don't think I should do that. I don't think anyone should do that because for a lot of people, I think there's a privilege that comes with being healthy. So Mm. I will retract my original statements of saying that's not love. That's just not a love that I recognize anymore personally. And I think I've been like that, you know, like for me personally, like it's very, like it's very difficult for me to recognize toxic love. Mm. That's fair. So what's the moral of the story? The moral of the story. Ooh, Mr. Morale. Let me give you my Mrs. Morale. (laughs) (laughs) If you feel like you have to make a point in love, why? That's good. I was going to say don't settle. I, no, not don't settle. Don't do things out of fear. And I think essentially we're saying the same thing. Because to your point, I think a lot of people find themselves in relationships. And that's not to say they don't love the other person. But a lot of people find themselves in love starting out out of fear as opposed to some genuine feeling of this is my person. I think a lot of times people are scared to be alone. People are scared of the concept of dying alone and it might turn into love. And I don't think that it invalidates that love, but it definitely makes shit a lot more complicated. And on that note, uh, let the people know what your socials are. We already did that. Uh, 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 Do it again, because you know. On IG and you can find me on YouTube at Mostly Plants, all one word. And where yes. can they find you? At Monisha Holmes, Monisha with an I, no H, M-O-N-I-S-H-A, H-O-L-M-E-S, on TikTok, on Instagram. You should definitely follow our more major platforms at Black Moon Being, as well as at Hotepery on Instagram. Yes, sir. And that's that. And do you want to talk a little bit about what the people can expect next week? Oh, when well, next is week or next month? okay? Yeah, yeah, that's next month, though, ain't it? Uh, Mercury retrograde. <laughs> Mercury, Mercury retrograde. <laughs> When is cheating okay? I already got thoughts about this because I don't really feel like cheating is okay, but we'll say that for the next episode. All righty. Bye-bye. Okay. Later. <laughs>